Hi, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Making Mentoring Really Matter podcast. And I'm really, really delighted uh, to have with me tonight Victoria Hewitt. And I, I first actually met Victoria quite a long time ago now. I think um, I um, reviewed one of your articles or books I think it was um and um we sort of went from there and you've done various case studies for my books and kind of followed each other's career on Twitter etc um so if people uh, don't follow Victoria um her Twitter handle is Mrs Humanities um she tweets loads about well-being and workload does brilliant brilliant work um Victoria tell people who haven't come across you before a little bit about your background and your career Oh, brilliant. Right. I'm so excited to kind of be talking to you today. Um, so my kind of background is geography mm-hmm. um, and I've been geography teacher for what, 12 years now. Um, head of humanities, where I taught a range of subjects, including art and cookery at one point. How that comes under humanities, I've no idea. <laughs> so it's quite a range. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And currently I'm subject leader for geography and I'm also the professional tutor. So I'm in charge of trainees and ECTs at my school. Yeah, honestly, it's the best part of my job at the moment, just working with early career teachers and just seeing them develop and thrive and just grow as professionals isn't it just like honestly out of all the things I do in kind of my my working sort of facilitating the early career framework is absolutely one of the best of them because I just meet such enthusiastic new entrants to our profession and I think you know it's been a bit doom and gloom hasn't it in education in the last um few months and I think you know you can really have your like enthusiasm kind of reignited by realizing that actually the profession is in really good hands when you're working with trainees yeah, 100%. Completely agree. They just bring such enthusiasm to the classroom. And it's just, yeah, awesome. <laughs> it is. It is. There's one word for it. Awesome, definitely. Um, so I always ask people whenever they come um, on the on the show, the first question is always, and it's quite a big question. So in your opinion, what do you think makes a great mentor? Oh, this is... This is such a hard one, actually. Um, I think there's so many attributes that make a great mentor. Um, But I think particularly at the moment with the whole ECF and the changes to ITT, it's that engagement of the the mentor in kind of looking at evidence and reading around the theory, because there's so much that's being developed now within a lot of teacher training courses and within the ECF that actually it's really easy to fall behind in what the you know, current teachers have been learning. Um, So actually just spending time and having that opportunity to engage in evidence and research and develop your own practice is so important. Um, Alongside that, I'd probably say honesty and being kind of able to go, yeah, I've made a mistake there and and actually discuss that with um, trainees and early career teachers so that they actually recognise it's okay to make mistakes in the classroom and as you're learning to to teach as well is is the fact that you you'll never be a finished product mm-hmm. um and you're constantly going to make mistakes and make errors but then being able to kind of help them to reflect on that and think about well what was it that went wrong there what can i do next time um and building those skills in them to be self-reflective and um having those reflective practices to mm-hmm. kind of take away into their um career basically Mm -hmm. 
No, absolutely. And I think having that vulnerability as a mentor is, is really, really important. And, you know, sometimes I think people mistake that idea of the word, the, the sort of phraseology of expert colleague to mean that mentors and experienced teachers need to be the finished finish product. And yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Nobody is the finished product. And I think it's important for mentors to show that vulnerability, that humility. If they don't know the answer to something, look it up together, learn together. Um, and, and also as well to kind of model that cycle of continuous professional development that we all sign up for when we become a teacher. You know, I've worked with some mentors in the past who've kind of said, why am I doing this? Um, you know, I've been a teacher for X number of years. And I think that's a really bad kind of outlook to have as a mentor because, you know, how are we modeling reflection and, and development if we're doing that in front of our ECTs or trainees? Absolutely. And I think one of the challenges with being a great mentor is often um, like experience is either going to people who have just come in to the profession because, you know, they're, they're up to date, they understand what it's like to be a trainee teacher, or it is, like you said, the the, the so-called experts um, who don't necessarily, you know, keep up to date with what's going on. Mm -hmm. And that keeping up to date can also be really hard as well. And I think that's important to acknowledge um, uh, because, it, I mean, mentors are always really advice rich, aren't they? But incredibly time poor. Um, so, I mean, you know, you know. I think as part of the early career framework, um, mentors should have been given that kind of allocated time to do their reading, et cetera. But it's not enough. I mean, what are your views on that? Oh, absolutely. Never enough time given to such an important role. Um, and I have to say, like your book on mentoring with the ECF is so valuable. Um, it's one of my kind of guidebooks oh, when, thank I'm you. Talking to, <laughs> when I'm talking to the mentors that I um, oversee as part of my role as professional tutor. Um, honestly, it's been such a fantastic research. There's so a uh, resource even. There's been so many highlights that I've been able to take away and then share with my team. Oh, thank you. And I didn't even pay you to say that. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that was why I wrote the book, to be honest, because I know how little time mentors have. And it's just good, isn't it? You know, I don't want mentors to see it as a straight jacket. It's just a scaffold that they can pick up, they can use for some support when when they need it. I hope I'm not kind of teaching mentors to suck eggs there, there really. Um, but no, that's that's really kind of you to say so. Um, I mean, you, you've written kind of extensively about teacher workload and well-being. Um, and why do you think that learning to teach is so difficult? I mean, we see the awful statistics, don't we, that one in three teachers are leaving before they've served out five years. I think the recent research out from NFER um, has shown that sort of teach training applications have gone down by 27%. I think it is now. There might be new figures uh, tomorrow. Who knows? Um, but, you know, it's it, obviously we, we are walking into a recruitment and retention crisis. I am a casualty of, of, of that as well, who left 18 months ago. Why is it so hard to be a teacher? Teaching is such a difficult career to um, be a part of because there's just so many different elements to it. Um, I mean, if we just think about the classroom and how many decisions you have to make in an hour period, for instance. Um, I was reading something the other day about cognitive load and within teaching and we make about 1,500 more educational decisions than the average person. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we're constantly thinking about all these different elements. We're thinking about the behavior of the kids. We're thinking about what they're learning, what they're taking away, um, what we're actually delivering. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you 
you know, you're responding in the moment to what's actually happening in the classroom. Um, and as a result, it's exhausting. Yeah. really exhausting um we were actually talking the other day about decision fatigue and the fact that because we spend so much time thinking that by the time we do get home it's kind of like oh what do I want for dinner oh I don't know <laughs> I just cannot make that decision um it's why we're probably all so unhealthy <laughs> yeah probably um and as a result of that it kind of then has that knock-on impact on well-being within within teaching which then you know you you go away and you need to kind of refill your own cup mm -hmm. um, so that then when you go in the next day, you're in the right frame of mind to be able to make those decisions, to be able to think about everything you need to consider when you're in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other things I think is really quite difficult as uh, an early career teacher is actually putting some of that theory into practice. Yeah. Um, so actually taking what you're learning on your course or learning from others and um you know putting it into the classroom context um often I have the trainees go oh I, now I see what that means and mm -hmm. that's everything that our training provider has been telling us mm -hmm. um so often they kind of understand the theory but then what that actually looks like in the classroom can be really difficult to interpret yeah. and I think that's where that modeling comes in um by mentors it's such an important element being able to model what the expectations are for the trainee and early career teacher when they actually put that theory into practice. And it makes sense, doesn't it, as well? Because, you know, when we expect our students to be kind of practicing new skills, we would show them what a good one looks like. We could, we would deconstruct it. We would kind of do making our thinking out loud of kind of why we were making particular decisions. But I feel like, you know, I, I certainly as a mentor sort of a, a decade ago probably wasn't doing enough of that. I didn't <coughs> experience pretty much any of that in my own mentoring when, when I was in a teach trainee. So, you know, why why is it taking so long for us to kind of get to grips with this? Absolutely. Um, I think one of the benefits of being a lot more evidence informed in teaching now is that we actually start to think about, well, what is it that we do with the students that might then work with early career teachers mm -hmm. and even just other professionals that we're working with and developing pra the practice of? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, I think you know, there's a lot of kind of controversy about sort of instructional coaching and whether that's the same as mentoring or whether it's right for, for our ECTs or our trainees. Um, but there's a lot that we can borrow from kind of the processes of, of that, that cycle that, that I think links in really well with that kind of ideas of cognitive science of how, how people learn and, and move from the novice to expert continuum. So I think there's some useful stuff in there. And yeah. um, I mean, you mentioned about kind of the, the decision fatigue, et cetera, but another really, um, well, another thing really that our trainees really struggle with our early career teachers really struggle with is kind of behavior in lessons as well. You know, how, how might mentors um, support, our, our new teachers with behavior and getting to grips with that? So one of the, the key things I kind of highlight to my colleagues is actually getting out into other classrooms and seeing what other teachers are doing. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean, mean it has to be for the whole lesson. You know, maybe if they're having a few difficulties at the start of a lesson, just mm -hmm. kind of looking at the processes and the procedures that other teachers put in place. And then actually coming back and trying that in the classroom and not being scared to make mistakes when they are trialing mm -hmm. new things because they don't always work. Mm -hmm. 
and they might need to go away reflect on it what could they do differently within that technique or sometimes mm. just scrap it entirely and come back with a completely new strategy I definitely did that when I was training to teach um, you know I, I tried the again them all to line up outside didn't work yeah um, I did the whole starter on the board just come in get settled didn't work um, and I ended up having like a positive um, like praise student so I'd, I'd identify somebody at the beginning of the lesson that was going to be my my key student and if they they worked really hard and they came in quietly they would then got like the praise at the end of the lesson mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that would have a knock-on effect because then the others would start to go oh I might be that secret praise person and and then they'd come in a bit mm -hmm. quieter and more settled but I did so many different things to actually get to a point where I was like actually this works mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and it's all about that trial and error and I think when you're learning to teach as well taking those calculated risks with the with the support of your your mentor as well and I, I have to say one of the worst things that ever happened to me was I was struggling with behavior at a really challenging school that I worked at as um, an NQT and I was sent to go and watch the deputy head who was in charge of behavior and he was an incredible practitioner and he had that presence he had the you know he'd been at the school for a long time he had that sort of um relationship with the kids and like the brothers and sisters and the parents and, and everybody else who had come before them and I went and I thought right okay this is an example of like an absolute expert colleague at behavior however I am there and he is like way up here and I I completely blew my mind like the cognitive overload was too much so I think you know it's also a good idea I mean would you advocate going to see uh, teachers at different stages of the career as well oh absolutely yeah um so my First recommendation is always somebody that's kind of early career yeah. um, so they can see what it's like for others at that stage. Um, but obviously, I do then also recommend going to see more experienced teachers because, you know, lots of different strategies are being applied across the school. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that range is what's important, isn't it? In the same way as we would give our students kind of access to a, a wide range of different writing, we might give them, you know, access to a, a real kind of um, academic uh, writing, but we might also give them access to, you know, nonfiction writing in a magazine or, or a newspaper, etc. as well. So, you know, I think I think that's really, really key, definitely. And, and apart from kind of, um, you know, just how difficult teaching is um i think workload is one of the things that comes up time in and, and time again um you know with with people wanting to leave the profession and thinking about leaving um and also you know i see on twitter a lot of the time um people saying you know i just I'm, i've worked from sort of seven o'clock in the morning until sort of 10 o'clock at night i'm working all weekends i just can't cope with the workload um you know and I, i've experienced that as a teacher as well you know it can really contribute to teacher burnout so what what can our mentors do to help our early career teachers with their workload Oh, absolutely. I've been in, in that situation as well. Um, so one of the key things I kind of discuss with my the trainees that I'm working with at the moment in particular is the idea of prioritising what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and that comes from a professional tutor perspective. But I also encourage the mentors to do the same with, with them. Yes. So that actually they're looking at what needs to be done um, with a sense of urgency, what needs to be done as soon as possible 
And one of the things I tools I recommend is the Eisenhower matrix, mm. um, such a useful tool to actually be able to identify what needs to be done immediately and what can eventually get to the end of the to do list and never seen again. <laughs> yeah. oh, I understand that one. Yeah. So yeah. how can you, how, how, how like, uh, can you explain to me like how you've used that? You know, have you done it recently with one of your mentees? Um, so actually I haven't used that recently with the, the trainees or mentors, um, but definitely last year I used it with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically just kind of identifying the um, urgency and the yeah. importance of the different tasks. And obviously we always discuss that actually it's the things that will affect the students there are always the things that need to be at the top of that to-do list then in terms of priorities. Um, God, sorry. Yeah, but I mean, like, who are we doing it for? Basically, I think he's also yeah. a useful question as well. And, yeah. you know, I, I always like to share kind of some of Mary Mary Myatt's uh, writing as well with, with trainees, you know, and, and ECTs and thinking about those fewer things, but in greater depth that are going to make the most difference to, to pupil outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favourite mottos is less is more. Um, (laughs) So one of the things I often try to suggest to our trainees and early career teachers is that actually building up a template bank is such a useful way of kind of reducing the workload in the long term. Mm. Um, So things that they're trialling out and they're going, actually, that was useful, that worked well creating a template for it and keeping it in like a set of PowerPoint slides. Um, I love that idea. Yeah. And then they can just go back and edit it to suit the context that they're going to use it in. Um, Really, really useful. I guess you could all always do that with with emails as well, like have particular templates saved or whatever. Because I mean, I used to spend if I think of like matrixes like you were talking about and, and like Covey's would be similar, wouldn't it? Covey's time management matrix, yeah. you know, like th- we spend a lot of that time on kind of silly tasks that don't actually make that much of a difference but take up all of our time rather than those really kind of strategic deep tasks where we have to really think deeply about them um so even having like email templates might be a nice idea as well I guess yeah absolutely I'm going to add that one to my list of tools for reducing the workload well never even thought of that me me too to be honest (laughs) (laughs) so yeah absolutely um I I love that idea um but yeah I'll I'll definitely kind of think about that myself and I think it's any of these kind of hacks isn't it to be quite honest um that that kind of give us this opportunity to like lower workload um because I really do genuinely feel like this is one of the things um that you know our trainees really really struggle with and I think we are losing you know really meaningless amounts of 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 sort of trainees of of new teachers to this really silly thing that we can do something about absolutely um and I think one of the key things that I try to instill in my trainees is that they don't need to be perfect yes they don't need to be out so-called outstanding um because actually good is good enough Mm -hmm. um and that things don't need to look pretty if they're functional Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it probably feeds in a little bit, doesn't it, to that kind of toxic cult of sort of perfectionism that we see sometimes I think particularly on social media like Instagram is one of the worst places I find for teachers like I see see all these kind of and I have to say it's sometimes primary teachers the most um, who have these like absolutely incredible resources like things they've made for the students uh, the worst is at the end of the school year isn't it when teachers show all the beautiful things that they've made and, and it's amazing it's gorgeous I'm not denigrating it but I ain't got time for that <laughs> and it can make you feel quite bad about what you're doing yeah yeah that we we do seem to have this ability to compare ourselves don't we as teachers the students do it but we also do it as adults yeah and and also like that kind of toxicity of seeing teaching as a vocation as well it really annoys me I post a lot about this um and, and write a lot about it you know teaching is a job it's an important job it's one that has massive moral purpose which is why it's one of the best jobs in in the world but it is not a vocation and I think if we tell ourselves it's a vocation that's when we get that teacher guilt absolutely absolutely yeah good um I mean we, we talked a little bit about kind of the well-being of our trainees and our early career teachers, but I think it's John Thompson who I read used the analogy of putting your own oxygen mask on before you can look after the well-being of others. And I think that's really important. How can you be the flame that lights other people's candles if your flame's gone out itself? And there's lots of mentors that are really struggling under the workload of kind of the training in the early career framework and the increased training in, in IT. Lots of those mentors are the same person. So it's how can mentors look after their own well-being um oh this one's a difficult one because often mentors are, are juggling so many different responsibilities at the same time um I think I'd probably start off with thinking about meetings mm. and meeting with trainees and early career teachers and actually making sure that those meetings stick to a really clear time frame mm -hmm. and that there's a really clear structure and or agenda that um, is followed for those meetings so that it's really clear what's going to happen how long that's going to take so that then actually both can then go and spend some time for instance enjoying their lunch break mm -hmm. um, actually that's something I've seen a lot recently is uh, meetings taking place at lunchtime mm -hmm. um, just because people just simply can't find the time in in, mm -hmm. in the timetable to do so um so actually being able to have that designated time and making sure that that designated time is used solely for that purpose mm -hmm. um another one is asking for support when necessary yeah um yes you might be the mentor in that particular subject area but you know it takes a team to support that that trainee teacher so actually recognizing that the onus isn't all on them and that engaging the rest of the department in supporting a trainee teacher is really really important um same at primary school mm -hmm. at primary level even um you know making sure that it's a team effort across the school to support a trainee and not just that one individual that's their mentor mm -hmm. And then finally, I'd probably say leading by example. Mm, Actually, mm. if you're giving your trainee an early career teacher advice about, you know, I don't know, maybe leaving one day every week uh, at the end of the school day and going to do something for yourself, mm -hmm. do that as well. Make sure that you are following the advice that you are giving. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that and that can be really hard. I mean, I I can't count the amount of times like I've seen kind of experienced colleagues walking out at kind of four o'clock and seeing sort of an early career teacher sat in the room still doing the marking and a colleague popping their head in and saying, "You're not going home." no, no, I'm not, no, all right, don't stay too long, bye, you know, I'm walking out, and while that is modelling leaving early, really, we should have been saying, why are you staying this late, is there anything I can help you with, do you know what I mean, and and yeah, I mean, it's about kind of modelling it, you're absolutely right, but also supporting where where support is needed, um, yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, there are going to be times, aren't they, when when mentors are really struggling them, themselves. And, and you know, I used to have days sometimes where I'd, I'd I'd love my job. Other days where I'd be on indeed.co.uk at three o'clock looking for Tesco checkout jobs, uh, thinking, you know, it's got to be better than this. So I think having that realism with, with trainees as well and not pretending that the, the job is all sunshine and lollipops because it's not. It is the best job in the world, but there are going to be challenges. I think that's healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I think that goes back to being honest as well. So those good mentors are the ones that are honest with their trainees and their ECTs. Um, And yes, they recognise, you know, it is a great job, but they also state the difficulties and provide support when it's necessary. And maybe solutions as well, maybe solutions that may have worked for them and, and you know, and, and things that, you know, they, they could do to, to to help them. But I think that honesty is, is definitely important because if, if people aren't honest, uh, and that's what I've always loved about your work, you're incredibly honest about times work that you found challenging or things that you've struggled with. But I think if mentors and experienced colleagues aren't honest, we might leave our trainees thinking, well, is it just me then? Yeah. actually you know is it is it me that, that that this just doesn't suit um and I think that's the danger that we sometimes face with kind of toxic positivity really yeah absolutely yeah I mean we, we're now kind of at the time in the year and I remember it well um where we're in the throes of a lot of trainees for, from sort of ITE trying to find their first teaching position uh, I remember sort of you know 16 years ago 17 years ago at this time of year, I still didn't have my job and lots of other people around me were getting jobs and I was starting to think, oh my God, because I had a child, <laughs> you know, when I was married um, and, and was a grown up when I trained to teach, I wasn't a graduate and I started to think, right, okay, I gave up quite a high powered job in journalism to do this and I need to find a job really desperately. So, you know, what what kind of advice um, might you give to people, to trainees and, and to mentors actually for how they can support uh, with those trainees who are trying to find their their first jobs oh yeah I remember this period as well (laughs) it's terrifying isn't it it really is yeah um so first of all it's like where do I actually go to find jobs um Mm -hmm. that's always a question my my trainees have asked me um and the one place I've been kind of recommending highly recently is the teaching vacancies website Mm -hmm. it's really easy to use and and you know they can filter by if the job is suitable for ECTs um they can filter by area um and yeah I've been using that with my current trainees in order to look at local um opportunities Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and then in terms of like the mentors um I highly recommend like actually looking at vacancies with the trainees Mm -hmm. and looking at the language that's being used and what that actually means mm-hmm. um, because so often we, we have all these acronyms um, and like there's the terminology that 
you might interpret as meaning one thing, but actually in schools, it means something else. Mm. Um, so actually kind of looking at what it is that the, the schools are looking for in terms of their, um, you know, um, employees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and also actually working, kind of discussing with the trainee, what are their strengths and how can they kind of demonstrate what they've achieved and the good practice that they've developed during their placement. Um, I mean, like the teaching interview is like no other interview like in, yeah. in, in the world. Like I, I remember, uh, you know, when I fought off like 600 people to get the job at the newspaper that I was a journalist at. So I, I knew I could give a good interview. I wasn't worried, worried about that. But it's like flaming X factor getting getting a teaching job, you know, like you, you've and I, I believe it's gotten even crazier um, with, with stuff I've seen recently where, you know, ECTs are being asked to like do a presentation to governors or like you know plan a CPD uh, or, or um, session or like um, plan a scheme of work um, oh you know which I just find like absolutely OTT for a main scale teaching job and that's got to be scaring people away it would be my thoughts but you know I, I think it, do you think it's worth like mentors kind of explaining actually this is what teaching interviews look like you might have to do this you might have to do that oh absolutely however if people are experiencing requests like those you've just list, I wouldn't have even thought of those things being requested of an ECT for interview. I mean, um, I reckon they're extreme <laughs> examples, but, you know, I think it's outrageous, yeah, yeah. actually, to ask an ECT to plan a scheme of work. Absolutely, Absolutely. outrageous. Um, and, and especially think it's quite dodgy that these schools are then keeping these schemes of work and not appointing the ECTs and bit, maybe being a bit cynical there. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I think probably one of the good things is actually doing a bit of interview prep as well yeah. um, and actually kind of looking at the kind of questions that get asked and having an opportunity to kind of run through their answers with somebody that's experienced. Um, I remember when I was uh, going for my first interviews and I was just reading in front of the mirror, shaking, <laughs> reading my my answers to the these common, uh, commonly asked interview questions but actually I think it is important to do that with somebody that knows the ins and the outs of the profession because then they can kind of help and guide you with improvements to your answers Um, and that's actually something I ended up doing with my sister-in-law who had been teaching a couple of years by that point Mm. Um, so yeah really really helpful actually running through how you would answer commonly asked questions yeah, definitely. And I think one of the, you mentioned teaching vacancies earlier, and I think one of the good things about them is that you you put your details in and you can use the same details for different vacancies as well. Because my goodness me, one of the worst things about applying for jobs is filling in 20,000 different application forms in different formats of the same information that you can't just copy and paste. Uh, yeah, it breaks my bones. Um, it's, it's what puts me off reapplying to go back into school to be honest yeah completely agree <laughs> it's awful honestly it's like we need to make it easier guys yeah, yeah. we're in a recruitment <laughs> crisis um so yeah hopefully hopefully we'll get there and I think you know have, having sites like kind of teaching vacancies where you can search things um sort of by area and and you know uh, post and, and have that kind of information that's already in there rather than writing it 20,000 times yeah. will definitely help um yes. so I'm gonna finish off now with what I always finish off with um which is my final words so just really quick fire 
um, no kind of deep thinking involved, three sort of tangible pieces of advice for, for mentors. And these can be sort of um, strategies that you've used, things that have worked for you, or they can be more kind of holistic, entirely up to you. Three pieces of advice I'd give to mentors then. Um, the first one would have to be do your reading. Mm -hmm. um, you know, before you actually get your trainee or your ECF, actually look at the resources and the materials so that you know what's going on over the year and what the expectations are of you and how you can then best support your early career teacher. Um, the second one would be listen and ask questions. Um, actually listen to what the trainee or the ECT is saying and then ask questions that actually help them to find the solutions. Um, too often it's kind of, if I was teaching this lesson, I would have, mm. where actually we want them to think, well, what would I do the next time I do this? Um, and the final one is be kind to yourself. Mm. Um, you know, it is a difficult role, really enjoyable role, but it is a difficult role. So just make sure that actually you reach out for help when you need to you ask for support and you look after yourself as much as you look after your trainee or ECT. I love that and I love ending on that positive note because I think you know that well-being of mentors is just crucial if mentors are going to be this kind of vital bridge between theory and practice this kind of support mechanism for our most vulnerable practitioners then they absolutely need to look after their own well-being as well and I fear that we're kind of dumping quite a lot of work and on, on them at the moment um, so hopefully people will, will take your advice on board. So thank you so much Victoria for joining me. My pleasure. Really enjoyed it. I know it was fab to chat to you again because it's been a while. Um, and if you aren't following Victoria on Twitter, please do um, head over to Twitter. And her uh, uh, username is Mrs. Humanities. Um, and I will also point you towards as well the um, Teaching Vacancies website that we mentioned earlier. It's a really great source of, of vacancies that are out there. Hundreds of schools are, are posting their vacancies there now. It's fastly becoming kind of the go-to place really for, for schools to advertise. So it's well worth checking out with your mentee. So thank you so much for, for listening again. Um, I'll be back very shortly with some more fantastic guests uh, talking all things mentoring. Uh, and I hope you have a good day or evening, depending on what time you're listening to this. Goodbye. <laughs>